1: taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored.
0: Welcome, everyone, to Literary Treks number 217. I'm Bruce Gibson. I'm just one of your hosts here on this wonderful program here on Trek FM. We are your official Star Trek books and comics show on the Trek FM network. And with me, as he always is, and as we always say, it's the wonderful, the great Dan Gunther. Bruce, how's it
1: going tonight? I'm doing well. And you? I can't complain, except it is really really cold here. I Is it really? What is the temperature? <laughs> the temperature, the current temperature in Grand Prairie, Alberta is -29 degrees Celsius. Mm. That probably doesn't mean a lot Which to a lot of fair people height, out there. So, yeah,
0: Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit that's
1: what -20 like like In Fahrenheit, it is minus twenty. Absolutely. Oh, bang on.
0: That's (laughs) cold, Dan. That's really cold.
1: That is very cold. I understand you are somewhere that is probably not minus twenty degrees Fahrenheit tonight, though. No, it's not. So I'm
0: in Las Vegas tonight, and uh, just walked like Phil was like three miles, but it was only one mile. Like all the zigzagging, it just feels like that. And I'm sweating, so it was not really cold. So I don't know the exact temperature. I think it's in the 60s. Hold on here. I'm going to ask Siri. What is the current temperature?
1: (laughs) It's currently 55 degrees.
0: Did you hear that? It's
1: 55 55 degrees. degrees. Wow. That's uh...
0: Fahrenheit. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would hope. Um... (laughs) Yeah, that is very different. Uh, from what it is here, I was outside today in order to run from my house to the car and then from my car into my office. And that is it. (laughs) That is the, I was probably outside for a sum total of including brushing the snow off my car about 45 seconds. (laughs) I I can't seriously imagine because
0: earlier uh, last week, in atlanta where it doesn't really get really cold we did we were in the teens at some points and 20s Mm -hmm. and i just remember everybody complaining about it and i'd (laughs) go out and i was like this is like a summer vacation for dan
1: (laughs) (laughs) it really would be well maybe not a summer vacation but it would definitely be a vacation from what what's going on right now
0: (laughs) i I don't even know how you do it it's, it's that's crazy that's crazy you know what you have to do though when it's that cold you just need to stay home and turn up the heat or make a fire in the fireplace Mm -hmm. and cuddle up in a chair with a good star trek novel
1: and just stay warm and read definitely the warm glow of my e-reader with a hot cup of hot chocolate that's just that's that's all you can do
0: (laughs) your e-reader that just It keeps you nice and warm as the screen just shines on your face
1: with warmth. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Well, I bet you read Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek. By the way, before I say that, I took a taxi from the airport to my hotel last night. And the guy, the taxi driver starts talking to me. He's not into technology because I'm here for the Consumer Electronics Show. Mm. And he's, oh, I'm not really on technology and all that stuff. I do have an iPhone here. Hey, you know what I did the other day? I I put on that Netflix thing on my phone. <laughs> he goes, and I went in there and I'm watching the old Star Trek series. And he pulls up his phone and he's showing me. And I was like, he goes, do you, do you like Star Trek? I'm like, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs>
1: That's excellent. You got the perfect cab driver.
0: <laughs> I know. Who would have known? But anyway, I'm sure he hasn't read Star Trek Captain's Peril, which Probably we just not. did. Yeah. <laughs> and that's part of our feature today. So we're going back into the Shatner verse for the third trilogy in his uh series of books.
1: Yes, definitely. And uh this is exciting. This is one that I've never read before. So um, actually that's kind of been the case for most of these Shatner verse novels, but once again, never read this one. So excited to talk about that.
0: Yes. And then, uh, later at the end of the show, we did get an iTunes review. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We've been wanting <laughs> one for a while. And, uh, so we'll call that one out and read it, uh, here at the, uh, towards the end of the show at the end of the feature. So in the news, we don't really have any news items, except I did throw one thing in here. We have our Goodreads group. Uh, uh, so we, I put a poll up on there and I said, where do you get most of your Star Trek books? And here are the results. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready. We had four choices. The top, no, I'll start from the bottom. The, <laughs> the one that um, most people get their books from, the one, the one that falls on the bottom of the list right now is at the library. So 10.5% of votes said they get their Star Trek books at the library. Hmm. Next one is online delivery. So that could be Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or whatever, or it could even be eBay. But they get books through the mail. They go online and order them. That is 21.1% of votes. Then uh, at 26.3% of votes, we're getting their books at a bookstore, whether it's new or used. Hmm. And then our top one is electronically getting ebooks, just like you were saying your e-reader that's 42.1 percent of the votes so 42.1 percent read their books electronically everyone else reads them as physical books and it's divided up mostly with bookstores
1: and then online delivery and then a few in the library that's really interesting i it's it's cool especially for a subject like star trek that ebooks are kind of topping out you know kind of being on the cutting edge of technology there Although I say cutting edge of technology, ebooks have been around for a while now. But uh, uh, when I answered this poll, it was hard because it's kind of a, a smattering of of all four for me, really, depending on the book. But if I have to say most of the books I would read would be from bookstores, uh, I still do buy the new releases, the new Star Trek releases, and the reason for that. Simply is they're usually out in the bookstore two, three, four, sometimes five or six days before the official release date. So that gives me a little extra time to read them for the podcast. But if they aren't out by then, I do grab the ebook just so that you know I have have it as early as I possibly can. But I do occasionally grab one from the library too.
0: Well, and I've noticed you've done that where you buy the physical book and you'll have it days before I do because I usually pre-order my books through Kindle and I have to wait till the official day that comes out. But mm-hmm. then I start seeing you, you know, oh, I'm reading the book and I see other people posting, oh, guess what I found in the store today? And I'm like, oh, I want to get an earlier start. <laughs> I want to start reading it. But at the same time, I, I'm i just losing space. I, I You know, of all the books that we're reading, I, I – I mean, I've already got, I don't know, a few hundred Star Trek novels on the shelf. I can't add another hundred.
1: Yeah, or no, more. I, I'm definitely running into that as well. And I actually still have a lot of my book collection in boxes, which is sad. You know, they shouldn't be in boxes. They should be proudly displayed on your shelves. And so you can, you know, occasionally pull one down and reread it and stuff. So they're, they're doing no good sitting in, in cargo crates and boxes. So. Yeah. I definitely do have quite a few and some would say probably too many. <laughs> I won't say too many. I, you know, maybe people like my girlfriend might disagree with that, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well,
0: I, I probably have too many, I'm sure. And I read too many Star Trek books and I, it just reminded me of when I saw Peter David this summer at Dragon Con. And I said, you know what? I've been reading Star Trek books since 1990. And he just laughed at me. He goes, <laughs> really <laughs> <laughs> oh dear
1: <laughs> and i'm
0: like yeah really but and this uh, is what
1: we choose to do with our time
0: but we love we it do. And now so <laughs> and now we do podcasts <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes But if anybody wants to get involved in polls or discussions on on Goodreads, because we had people also discussing, not just, they didn't just vote on the poll, but they, there was discussions about what we, like we were just saying, you know, I get eBooks because of this, or I like to get the physical copies this, or people just give me them, you know, as gifts. That's what Amy Nelson said. I don't know who's giving her gifts of books, but you know, I'm jealous of that. Mm -hmm. But, uh. But if anybody wants to join the Goodreads group, just go in there and you can see uh, books that we previously covered here on uh, Literary Tracks, And it also shows you what books we're currently reading so that you know what's coming up on future shows. And of course, be part of all the conversations about the books and the comics. So don't want to forget the comics is also included in that. So go to Goodreads and search for Literary Tracks and click to join the group and we'll let
1: you come in and you can... Have fun in and polls and, and comments. Excellent. That should maybe be our next poll. How do you read the Star Trek comics?
0: Ooh, that's a good one, too.
1: <laughs> I read them by hanging upside down. <laughs> that's What a weird coincidence. Me, too. That's, uh, huh. I wouldn't expect that to be one of the top answers on the poll, but you never know. <laughs> well, I say... It's time to go to the feature
0: and uh, talk about this Shatner verse book. Let's do it. Okay, so for today's feature, which we mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're doing the first book in the third trilogy of Shatner verse books. And uh, this is the Totality trilogy. And uh, there's a. A lot of totality in this first book, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but this is definitely the book that kicks that off, and this is called Captain's Peril, and it's written by written by William Shatner, and of course we have Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens who wrote it with him, and uh, I did read I didn't read this book. Years ago when it came out, instead I bought the audio book on CD. Mm. And so preparing for this show, I dug that out. Well, I shouldn't say I dug it out. It's on the top of my shelf. I pulled it off the shelf and I uh, listened to it in the car. It's the abridged version of the book. So it was about three hours long and it's read by William Shatner. So the fact that we're discussing the book on the show, I thought, well, I can't just keep with the abridged version because I don't know what I'm missing. So then I read the total novel as an ebook on my Kindle. And uh that that's so I guess you could say I've listened to the audiobook twice and I've read the book once. So Dan, this hmm. is your first time. You had mentioned
1: earlier, right? Yeah, this was my first time reading this book. Uh it's Now not, why is that? Um I never really read a lot of the Shatnerverse books when they you came didn't out. like them when they came out or? Um it's not so much that. I would say it's more allocating my reading resources to stuff that I was really interested in. And this was something that I wasn't huge about. I had read The Return. I think The Return was the only one that I read when it came out because that has a very compelling hook. You know, James T. Kirk is resurrected after the events of Generations. I was like, well, okay, I've got to read that. But I didn't really feel compelled to read a lot of the other ones. And again, it wasn't that I was saying, Oh, I'm never going to read those. They just kind of hung back on the bottom of my reading list. And I never really got to them. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I have picked up a few over the years from used bookstores just as I see them like, Oh, I don't have that one. I'll grab it. Uh, This is not one that I had. I didn't have this one, unfortunately. So I did have to buy the uh, ebook to read this um, one. But the next book, I actually do have a hard copy. I, I have in one of those boxes I mentioned earlier. So I will be reading that in the hard copy later.
0: Yeah. I think the second book in this trilogy, again, I think I have the audio like book of that, you. but then the Uh-oh. third book, I think I have the hardcover hard copy book. So this book starts off with Kirk. Well, actually, no, it doesn't start off with Kirk. I'm jumping ahead just a little bit, which was we have kind a per- of a
1: surprise. I have to say I was, I was a little surprised where this
0: book started off from. Ah, yes, the prologue, because it's during the Cardassian occupation, Mm -hmm. and uh, it starts with a familiar character in Dukat, and uh, he's on the planet of Bajor, and he witnesses the Bajoran resistance fighting other Bajorans, and they're doing this to protect and hide an excavation site where there's the Tear of the Prophets uh, that is expected to be found somewhere in this ancient city. And so they don't want the Cardassians to get hold of the tier profits and they don't want anybody to find it. So there's this infighting going on to protect uh, this orb and the Cardassians retaliate by breaking a dam with their orbital fighters and it floods the
1: ancient city. Those uh, those darn Kardashians, you, you think they could use their social media presence and huge uh, influence no, no, no. for Cardassians, not oh, Kardashians. shoot. I'm sorry. I accidentally stumbled into making the oldest joke in the world. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Only nerds get that joke. That's
0: <laughs> nerd, <laughs> Star Trek nerds like us. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how the, the prologue starts off. Then it jumps ahead years later after the occupation. And this is taking place now with Kirk and Picard. And I'm trying
1: to remember. I think this was shortly after
0: after first contact i th- think it's uh,
1: i think it was in between insurrection and nemesis uh because picard wow. does bring up anej a number of times uh who is in insurrection and they talk about uh something that's upcoming in nemesis and i can't remember what i think riker and troy are going to get married soon or something like that like there there's some reference to yes. nemesis You're right. Uh,
0: Yes, there was some reference, not like, oh, hey, Riker and Troy are getting married, but it was almost like questioning why why even bother to get married or something. Like there was a complaint about marriage or something. And I also remember there was a reference to Voyager as if Voyager
1: had returned. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, the Dominion War is over, which took place after uh, insurrection because they were still doing Dominion negotiations as Riker was annoyed in insurrection about.
0: <laughs> yes, that's true. Well the book starts with Kirk and Picard taking a vacation together, and that's the story. <laughs> it's about their vacation together.
1: That's pretty well much they're it. going
0: it's pretty it pretty much is in a way. Uh I, I kinda call this segment murder he wrote because they're <laughs> on vacation and they're doing orbital skydiving. So Kirk is very much of like, you know, come on, Jean-Luc, we're going to jump out and we're going to do this orbital skydiving and it's going to be fun. And Picard's like, you know, oh, I I don't know how I feel about this. Where did you get these, you know, skydiving uniforms? And Kirk says, you know, oh, I got it from a Ferengi from Deep Space Nine. And Picard's like, oh, not Quark. No, <laughs> you know, I don't trust this, you know. and stuff. And so, you know, Captain Picard is kind of freaking out and Jim Kirk's like, you know gotta live for the adventure let's jump and they're doing this not to just go orbital skydiving but once they land they're going to an archaeological excursion uh, to find this ancient buried city that we were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. and so this is not just you know out skydiving but to actually do something useful with themselves and do some archaeology
1: so first of all this skydive this kind of went on longer than I was expecting this, this orbital skydive takes place. I want to say over the course of about three chapters.
0: Yes. I was going to say three. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And oh man, I, I mean, I'm not, I guess I'm not necessarily complaining that it took three chapters to tell this, but it just seems weird that it's, it's, there's such a focus on this and it, it seems to just kind of drag on. And I got to say, I'm on Picard's side here because their orbital skydiving suits do malfunction and they're in very real mortal danger and uh i i don't know if i were picard maybe i'm too risk averse but i would never go anywhere with kirk again
0: (laughs) yeah i agree uh yeah it's basically a picard turning to kirk and saying i told you so and i mean yeah they kirk almost died through this thing and uh Mm -hmm because yeah, the functionality of the suit just didn't work right. But you know, Kirk lives for adventure and and risk. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but um, yeah, three chapters. I, I agree with you on that. I didn't really mind the scene, but it did seem to drag on a little long and to take place across three chapters. I mean, Three chapters of falling through the air. That's mm. basically what this was. And there was a lot of Kirk thinking back on things during <laughs> it. And and there, there was some teasing between the two before he had his malfunction. And Kirk's just like, oh, come on, Jean-Luc, enjoy the fall. You know, it was mm-hmm. just a little...
1: I don't know why they were trying to fill up three chapters with this. It was just a little odd. Yeah. And I mean, like in the grand scheme of the story, I don't think it necessarily takes up too much time. It was more like while reading it at the beginning, flipping to the next chapter and saying, oh, okay, we're we're still doing this. Okay. This is still happening. All
0: right. <laughs> yeah. In this case, I would say it works better in the audio book. Oh, interesting. In you're not feeling like there's chapters and it's
1: and it's condensed, you know, so it's mm. – it's, it didn't go on as long. So I'm curious about that, the difference between the audiobook and the, um, the the full novel. Were you aware when you read the book of significant chunks missing or was it more just kind of a general paring down of what's already there?
0: For the most part, I'd say it was a paring down. I expected to get into the book and find scenes that were not in the audiobook. And maybe there was a few minor scenes, but it was more of just all the scenes were just shortened. Like there was Hmm. certain dialogue in a scene where I was like, Oh, I don't remember hearing this part of the conversation. So like conversations were kind of chopped up into smaller pieces and skydiving took less time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, You know, over the course of the whole novel, it—I guess—it's not that huge a chunk. But while I was reading that part, I think I would have been a little thankful for that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and you know, now that we're talking about the book and we're just early into this, you know, maybe I don't like this book as much as I was thinking I did because I do remember there seemed to be a lot of repetition about things Mm -hmm. where it was like, you know, we're still talking about referring to something that happened earlier in the story or something that happened in the past and we keep bringing that up or it keeps coming up as often. Like it almost felt like it was, there was a lot of filler and I don't know if I feel that way because I listened to the audiobook. book. I, I don't think so. I think it's just because um, there just seemed to be a lot of repetition mm-hmm. to past events being brought up.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that that's definitely the case uh, for me. Yeah. There, there was a lot of, yeah repetition or or recounting i guess of things that we had just read and yes i guess the intent would be maybe to add a different you know perspective on it we get things for example from kirk's perspective for a while and then we get picard's perspective on some things a little bit but for the most part i i found that a little bit unnecessary. I feel like what the book was trying to do was juxtapose the, the two differing viewpoints of Kirk and Picard. And, you know, in some ways the story succeeds in that, but in others, it just, it feels, it fell a little flat to me personally.
0: Yeah, I I think so too. So, well, look at that. We're on the same page so far, so far. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, after they, successfully landed now meaning they didn't die uh they uh run into a uh, jawa sand crawler no actually they did <laughs> kind of feels the like reason it. I meant, it well it's funny because if you watch star wars a new hope and uh C3PO's on Tatooine and he sees in the distance a little speck of something and a light like flashing something, you know. He, oh, he's like, Oh, look, over here, over here. There's a scene almost just like that in this book with Kirk and Picard. They're in the desert and they see something in the distance. It's moving in a little flash of light. And then you were like, Oh, over here. <laughs> I was like, Wait, <laughs> is this supposed to be Star Wars or something? <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh anyway, the they get to this uh whatever transportation device that uh, this Bajoran was on and it's Corn Tau. And uh, he informs them that Nilan art, Arter art, Arter. <laughs> Nillin, wait, hold on. They're informed by that. Nelan Arter has been murdered by an oversurge from a piece of equipment back on camp. And then that's what, you know, aha, someone was killed. This Korn Tau is saying this guy was actually murdered. Jean-Luc, let's go with Korn Tau back to this camp that we were going to anyways. And we're going to figure out who the murderer is.
1: I feel just like I'm excited as
0: Kirk is right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I I have to say I, at this point in the book, am not incredibly excited. I, they're throwing a bunch of names of people that, You know, I haven't really met and we, we meet a few of them over the course of the book, but for me, these names seem to run together and I'm kind of like, I don't really care about these people. You know, the, the guy that was murdered, I don't really have any particular. You don't know anything about them. Yeah. You know, they're presenting it as this huge, and I'm just like, okay, who's that? What's going on? I don't, you know, so we get Kirk and Picard working and, you know, solving this murder mystery And I'm just, I'm, I'm, oh, I, I hate having this reaction because it's, it's a worse reaction than, oh, I really don't like that. Or I really love that. It's just like, I don't really care. I'm not getting into it at this point. And it pains me to say that I'm, I'm usually overwhelmingly positive about, you know, the books that we read and stuff. And I'm just, I, I'm having a hard time slogging through it at this point.
0: Well, we'll get a little further into that. We'll revisit this topic Cause I'd like to know later in the book, what you think without giving any spoilers. So just to let people know, we're just covering the, the first beginnings of this story. And uh, as we get further and we'll give you a heads up, if we're going to spoiler territory, if you want to stop and come back and listen, but uh, yeah, right now it's not all that compelling.
1: Mm-hmm. The,
0: the thing at this point for me reading this book is just the dynamic between Kirk and Picard. We, we had a lot of that in the previous books, but there was a lot of adventure and a lot of things at stake that they were dealing with. And just to see them just kind of casually hanging out together on a vacation.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's
0: just, you know, it, it was just interesting just hearing the two kind of bicker back and forth. And, and when I say bicker, it's almost as if Herc's relationship with Picard is very similar in between his relationship between Spock and McCoy, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Kirk can be a little more logical. He's got the, kind of that logical side and like Jim I you know, don't take risks and, you know, oh, we need to be serious type of thing. But also kind of be McCoy in a sense of like, you know, I have human emotions and, you know, I'm going to express them. And, and I feel like Kirk just has these relationships with people that just aren't like him. He mm. likes people who are opposite or different than him.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's very true. And he does call that out directly to Picard. He he does say, oh, now that's something Spock would say, you know, a number of times right. to, you know, a counterpoint to one of Kirk's arguments or something. So they really are playing up that difference between these two and the philosophical uh, juxtaposition between Kirk and Picard, which I do have to say I appreciate. I, I did like that kind of putting them um, philosophically against each other on a few issues, which we'll we'll get to as well. But uh, you know, I'm I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying the interplay between them. It's uh, as a character study. I'm finding it interesting. It's just that. Oddly enough, when we get into the plot, then I'm like, ugh, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Which is usually, you know, I guess that's when usually a book would, uh, you know, pick up and become more exciting. But to me, I'm just, I'm not on board for it. Okay.
0: So you're not all that thrilled. You're not on board with the plot, but we have a B story in here. Yes. And it's a flashback to early on in Kirk's five year mission. with on the enterprise and this is so far back that this is we've got the uniforms without the black collars. We have Dr. Piper on the ship before McCoy. We have Gary Mitchell still alive at this point. <laughs> I think so. This was before we got to where no man has
1: gone before. Yes. He's on on some sort of leave or something like that. So Gary yeah. Mitchell isn't in this story, which is interesting. I almost, it seems odd that he's absent and he's absent for quite a while before they explain why he's not there. So I, th- I thought that was a little strange, but yeah, we're far enough back that they're wearing, I'm pretty sure they're wearing those blue uniforms with the gold trim and the, right. Is that, no, I think I'm thinking of a different ship. That's a different division. of Stony. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they're wearing like the dull beige and, uh, and light, kind of powder blue, and yeah,
0: okay. All yes, right. okay. <laughs> yes. And, Sorry, and, and I just Sulu's have to Sulu's in of a blue, and Yahora's in yellow. Yeah. Or gold, or whatever. Which was, I like that part too, because they had a different communi- uh, communications officer on the bridge. Mm-hmm. And when that person had to go on a mission, they brought Yahora from somewhere else on the ship that she was der- to come to the
1: bridge and fill in as the communications officer yeah exactly it was if this was the 2009 jj abrams movie she was down below decks next to those big huge silver things doing something communication right. <laughs> that we exactly. don't really know that's
0: about. that's it that's that. that's probably where they got the idea for the movie is from this book
1: <laughs> oh of course yeah i'm sure no <laughs> uh so anyway
0: uh we have these flashbacks to his first uh early in his uh, command of the enterprise. And uh, this is really an opportunity where we see Kirk really trying to understand his first officer, Spock, especially when he's given the news that Mm -hmm. Spock has put in for a transfer off of the enterprise. And Kirk just doesn't understand like, wait, wait, why, you know, why would my first officer transfer off the enterprise? He hasn't served with me. long. He must not trust me. And he goes to Spock about it. Actually, he goes to Dr. Piper. You know, what's going on? Why, why would Spock transfer off the Enterprise? What is wrong? And Piper's like, well, I don't know. Did you ask him? <laughs> <laughs> no. And so he confronts Spock. And he's like, you know, why, why transfer off the Enterprise? And he goes, is it that you don't believe in my command abilities? You have a problem with me? And he's like, no. No. I actually believe in your command abilities. It's just, I am ready for a change. I've been on the ship for whatever, 13 years or whatever. Mm. And uh, he wants to go and work at the Academy and he's got his retirement plan
1: all scoped out actually. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's taking a very logical approach to his career. So he's like, you know, a certain percentage of my career should be doing this. And then I should be doing this for a little while and I should spend, you know, 13.2% of my career serving on a starship and then, you know, and then something, you know, this other thing. So he's, his answer basically is I'm a Vulcan. This is, you know, it's, it's all very logical. It has nothing to do with, you know, you or anything like that. It's what I need to do to further my career. And of course, Jim Kirk is a feeling human who <laughs> takes everything very personally and, and can't understand you know, that this is not a slight against him kind of thing. I do well, have to knows, say,
0: he, he, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, he's also afraid it's going to reflect badly on him. Right. Uh, That's going to appear that if his first officer leaves, that people are going to judge that is that Kirk, you know, he left because he doesn't like Kirk.
1: Yeah, exactly. Cause Kirk's been the captain of the enterprise for what, like three or four months or something at this point, like a very short period of time. So it's very, yeah, he's worried that it will look bad on him as well. I do have to say this part of the story, I am enjoying a lot more than uh, the stuff set in the 24th century. I'm really liking this glimpse of Kirk's early days on the ship and that relationship with Spock. You know, later on, of course, they become very, very close and very good friends and comrades in arms. But at this point, you know, Kirk says at one point in this novel, he's never served long-term with non-humans. So he's not, he doesn't understand the different perspective that Spock brings and seeing that clash between them and the kind of misunderstandings is really interesting to me. I'm really enjoying this. And I like how they
0: say, they look at things differently, but say the same things. Mm -hmm. So again, in this situation, where Spock is looking to transfer off the enterprise. Kirk says, you know, you would only transfer off the enterprise if you don't think I'm a fit commander. And he's like, no, the reason I would transfer off the enterprise is because I do think you're a fit commander.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, you know, it's <laughs>
0: like, you know, I trust you to the point that I feel comfortable. I could leave where Kirk looks at it as like, you would only leave if you didn't trust me that have like right. these two different points of view on certain things. And there there's, and and, and to me, I didn't feel like Spock was trying to argue that much with Kirk. I felt like Kirk was always trying to argue with Spock. Like, you know, I've got to win. Like there's just, there's something wrong. There's something about you. That's bothering me. Not in a bad way. Like I don't like you, but it's like, I'm trying to get in your head and try to figure out how you're thinking and why you're doing things. And it's driving me crazy that I
1: don't really know why you do what you do, Spock. Mm
0: -hmm. That's how it felt like with Kirk in this story
1: definitely and he turns everything into a competition like this is kind of what kirk does and even in the 24th century bit picard kind of calls him out on that it's like everything's a competition to you and uh like even when they're skydiving and that sort of thing like it's it's this competition between them which is you know interesting <laughs> and whenever we're inside kirk's head everything is framed that way right Right. And Spock accuses him even when they were lifting weights together.
0: Mm -hmm. Spock's using anti-grav weights in a different manner where he's not pumping the weights. He's just doing like this forever (laughs) long slow lift. And Kurt's questioning and then Kurt's trying to do it. And Spock's like, see, you're trying to compete. And he's like, no, I'm just I want to explore. I want to See what this is like, and
1: it's just like they're constantly back and forth with each other on these things. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, that that method of weightlifting of Spock's, I thought was really interesting, and I thought, like, that's one thing that in this book, it's it's very visual, and I could I could picture that, and I would love to see that brought to life on screen. You know, Kirk's pumping weights and, you know, getting all sweaty and worked up and Spock has his weights and he's just very slowly, almost imperceptibly moving his arms up into, you know, until they're out straight eventually, and then very slowly bringing them back down so that over the course of, you know, the, the five, five or 10 minutes they're having this conversation, he's done one complete, you know, repetition of this. Which is, I think that'd be a really interesting way to frame uh, a scene or a, a conversation in a TV show. I think if you're using different camera angles, it would be murder on whoever is in charge of continuity to make sure that his arms are exactly where they're supposed to be. But it'd be really interesting to see. <laughs> it would be. Yeah,
0: it would be uh, a slow scene. But yes, <laughs> or just have it where Spock's lifting a weight. And we leave him, and we follow so, like Kirk or something, and he goes on a mission, and he comes back to the Enterprise, and he goes back in the, <laughs> the weight room, and Spock So he's still halfway up. You know, you still lifting that one right weight? <laughs> that would be great. So, risk is our business. There's a big theme in this book, and we've mentioned it several times about risk, mm-hmm. and Picard calls Kirk out on it. Spock in the past calls him out on it. And I think even later in this book, we get, you know, McCoy steps up to the plate too at some point here, you know? So, mm-hmm. but during that orbital skydiving, Picard points out that, you know, a thing is risky or it is not. And Kirk disagrees with that. And he points out that when he was young, and especially pointing to this mission that we're getting this backstory on, this flashbacks, He says, there was nothing I couldn't do when I was young. So I did it all. Then it became a curse. You think you're invincible, so you take on greater and greater risks. And the more you succeed, the more invincible you believe yourself to be. And if you're lucky, the loss is an absolute. And therefore, Mm -hmm. he concludes to feel more invincible. And that he even points out that when he lost his first officer or not his first officer, the first officer he had lost in death, it's a setback, but things aren't always a setback uh, to start you back at zero. It's Mm -hmm. just a temporary step back. And then you take that next 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 risk. And the more you, you keep winning at these risks, the more invincible and it just feeds that ego.
1: Yeah, this was something that I found kind of interesting. You know, the the idea that a thing is risky or it's not. You know, there's either risk or there isn't. There's no such thing as degrees of risk. And I, I don't know, I found myself really disagreeing with, with that. Like, I, I feel like, I don't know, what's your take on that? Do you think there are degrees of risk or there's just risk and no risk? Like, is it a binary or? I mean, I do feel like there's degrees and risk, but I, I kind
0: of see where, Kirk is coming from uh, because in, again, in an argument, I think it was with Spock or maybe it was Picard. I can't remember what, but he was talking (laughs) about, you know, well, if, you know, if Kirk is captain of the enterprise, you know, his death, he's taking a bigger risk when he's doing something because his death has a greater impact on the ship and the crew than a low level officer. It's Mm -hmm. less of a risk. And Kirk's point is like, yeah, but it doesn't matter because whether it's that officer or or myself, you know, if, yeah, if the captain passes away, that's what the first officer is for. And they step up and basically in every risk, there's going to be a solution. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: it doesn't matter how big or how small the risk is. It's just a risk. And there's always something that fulfills and takes its place to move forward.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I just and I I'm having a hard time articulating exactly why, but I just yeah that that argument feels really incorrect to me. <laughs> and I don't. Well, know.
0: It, it feels a, like a stretch, you know. Yeah.
1: But and I mean maybe I'm looking at this wrong because I was maybe I was thinking of like you know there's something that risks a lot or or something that risks a little. Maybe, maybe that was what I was thinking of for degrees of risk. And I think maybe that's not quite how he means it. So I'm I'm thinking I might be looking at this kind of the wrong way, but Kirk's view on this does change over the course of his life because basically he's arguing with Spock that he thinks there are no degrees of risk and Spock says there are. And then when we get into the 24th century, Kirk has changed his opinion and he says to Picard, there are degrees of risks. And Picard's the one saying, no, there's, there's either risk or there isn't kind of thing. So it's interesting to see that evolution. And I yeah. definitely agree with Kirk later. And it just annoys me that Picard thinks that, because I'm like, I I can't, I can't quite understand that point of view. And I don't know if that's because I'm misinterpreting what they mean or what, but yeah, th- this, this argument seemed odd to me and I'd like to kind of get, what the author was trying to say with that. Cause I'm not sure I understand.
0: Yeah. I, there's times I had to reread things just to see if I really understood it. And, you know, it was, a, there's a scene in here that uh, they're looking, they're talking, Kirk and Spock are talking about a previous mission that actually was successful. And so Spock says the fact that there are the fact that there were no negative results does not change the initial conditions of either scenario, because it could have gone either way. And Kurt says, exactly. Because they both agree to the same point, but what Kirk's basically saying again is like at this point, everything is a risk. No matter mm-hmm. what scenario, the safer versus the less safe, both are still a risk. Mm-hmm. It's like he's just Early in his career, it's almost like he's just saying that, you know, everything that I do is a risk, whether it's safe or not. There's a risk involved. Nothing is ever going to necessarily go the right way, but you keep pushing and pushing. And if, as, as if things keep working out, then. I don't know. That's when he feels more invincible because even if it's not a perfect solution to the risk he took, whether small or great, he feels like he's still moving forward and still accomplishing things. And so risk doesn't feel like something he can't do. He feels more invincible to do
1: it. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, very much fits in with the the Kirk we know from his brash young days. So, you know, it it works out well. And I do have to say that conversation I really did like, Well, at the same time, if I were taking part in that conversation, I would find it infuriating because it's just it's almost the same as saying, well, agree to disagree, you know, but like, like, oh, you've made my point for me. No, I haven't. Oh, yeah, you have. I'm just like, oh, that's the worst argument to have. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, it was fun to read, but oh, my God, that would be like there was an awkwardness to the interactions between Kirk and Spock in this book in their early days that I really did appreciate because it was just the two of them are on such totally different ends of a philosophical spectrum here. And it it almost adds more meaning to the fact that they become so close later on, that they're just so different here and that their differences will end up complementing each other later on which is kind of cool, but they're yeah. just, they're so diametrically opposed here. It's really awkward to see them uh, interacting with each other.
0: It is. And and the fact that it's awkward is what's so beautiful about it because it's early in the relationship and they're still filling each other out. You know, it mm-hmm. is awkward until they finally get to know each other better. And then they have that beautiful relationship that's close for the rest of their lives all the way up through to the, even this book in the 24th century no absolutely (laughs) okay so going back to earlier and getting into some we're getting further into the book so let's just say we're getting into spoiler territory so um you know we talked about the murder and this is somewhat of a murder mystery but we end up having more than one murder and Mm -hmm. so you were saying that the murder that were introduced at the beginning of the book is a character you don't know and never met. So you don't really care. Well, now Mm -hmm. we have what we suspect is the murder of Jean-Luc Picard himself. Did you care? I think I know the answer (laughs) to this, but I'm just want to hear what you you're going to say.
1: I think you're looking at the expression on my face that unfortunately the listeners aren't privy to, but this is another thing. And I, Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, give the book the benefit of the doubt here. I know they're not really trying to convince the reader that Jean-Luc Picard is dead, but you know, they're basically, um, Picard goes into the water and there's dive teams looking for him, but you know, after a while they're, they can't find him and he's declared lost and it's like, Oh my God. Jean Luc Picard is dead. Jean Luc Picard has been murdered. We must, you know, I must find out who his killer is and avenge his death and blah, blah, blah. And this goes on for, you know, three, four, five chapters. And it feels like the book is trying to convince me that Captain Picard has been killed. And I mean, we know he's not.
0: Exactly. That's why I think you probably don't really care.
1: (laughs) Oh, it just, it it got a little heavy handed. Now, again, like I said, I'm going to give the book the benefit of the doubt. They're not actually trying to convince us that Picard is dead because. You mean you didn't read this and go, oh my gosh, they killed off Picard. (laughs) Oh, I mean, wow. What a bold choice for this book that takes place between two movies that he's in. My God. But you know, so like I said, I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. It's not actually trying to convince us that he's dead because we know he's not. It's, it's showing Kirk's reaction to Picard's death and how he deals with that and how that drives him. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that's fine. But it just, it feels like they're relying on, on the idea that Picard's dead and it just, it, it goes on a little bit too long. Because, you know, he's going to show up alive and well at some point somehow. And they just, I feel like they stretch that out a little bit more than they needed to. Maybe I'm being overly picky on this book. Maybe, I don't know, I mean, it was in a bad mood when I read it or something, but it just, <laughs> everything's just, every choice they're making in this book is just kind of making me roll my eyes a bit and go, oh, okay. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I sound like an old curmudgeon, but it's, no, it's I, annoying. No, I think you're right.
0: I, the thing I like about doing this show and even being on the 602 Club or any show where we're talking about something, sometimes in the conversation I start to realize I might like something better than I thought. Or then I start to realize I don't like it as much as I thought. And I'm leaning <laughs> towards the not liking it as much as I thought. And it's not because you're making an argument that's making me go, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't like that. You're bringing up things that I start to remember. Oh, yeah, I didn't care for that at the time. And, yeah, yeah, like I'm just thinking about scenes where Kirk and that little girl and and she's like can't breathe or she's coughing or whatever it was. And he's going to take this salt water medicine that they find in her hut. And maybe make her drink it, and the mother comes in, like freaks out. No, you rub it on her face. And then, you know, later on in the book, he's going to take her body into the water to the big, you know, squid that takes it out. That's a prophet
1: or not. Prophet. Uh. <laughs> I don't
0: know. It's, just,
1: it's just a lot of it's kind of like weird. what even <laughs> is happening in this book? <laughs> oh, right. I, and yeah, like the whole okay there's another thing and and I put it in the in the show notes here the whole paternalism argument um towards other cultures we get a debate about the prime directive between Kirk and Picard which I was really interested in like I said I really liked the kind of philosophical differences between them but you know so the argument is that the Prime Directive is too paternalistic towards other cultures. Kirk says, you know, the Federation shouldn't be this entity that decides what's best for everyone and you know hides things and and you know protects species. They should, you know, give technology freely to more primitive cultures that, you know, and and explain to them the dangers and that sort of thing and and you know don't don't handhold them. But like I feel like that's a paternalistic argument in and of itself. And we, I don't know, we really see this borne out with the interactions between Kirk and Picard and the Bajorans in this book who, you know, they're described as rural Bajorans, maybe more provincial in attitude than a lot of the Bajorans we've seen, but they're just so they're, they're portrayed as so backwoods, And, you know, the, the one woman it's like, oh, I didn't think non-Bajorans had complex emotions and feelings and and you know could think freely and all this stuff. And they're just they're so backwoods and and rural and provincial attitudes and this sort of thing. And then Kirk, and I'm I'm blasting through a ton of plot here, but Kirk basically learns a little bit about the Bajoran religion and gets some insights into some of the things around it, and then is almost like, well, I'll show these Bajorans how the Bajoran religion should be, you know, used. And I, oh, I get it. I get that this creature is, you know, uh, atoning for a past life and I'm totally buying into this. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm doing the Bajoran religion better than these Bajorans are and I'll show them how awesome I am. I'm just like, oh, and again, maybe I'm being too hard on it, but I'm just, shaking my head going like, Oh, Kirk has to be so awesome. He has to out Cisco Cisco and, and be the, uh, you know, be the new, I don't know, Bajoran religious figure, or at least, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Well, it's like when I
0: read this book, even years ago, when I listened to the audio book, I remember walking away with the feeling that we all know that William Shatner didn't sit down and type out these books, you know, Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens working on it with him. And from Mm -hmm. my understanding, from what I've heard in interviews or something with William Shatner, it's basically he sits down with the authors and they come up with a story idea and uh, then they write it. I felt even at the time when I first listened to this book that they all in a room and this is the first book that really William Shatner came up with and they just said, you know, we'll do exactly what you just said then, (laughs) you know, it felt very much like this is a William Shatner book of, you know, what he thinks Kirk is. And, and Kirk is just, and people want to see Kirk being, you know, better than themselves and, and, and winning the day and being almost like a superhero. (laughs) You know, I just had Mm -hmm. this feeling that they were just like, uh, we think it's going a little too far, Bill, but no, we'll, we'll
1: go with it on
0: We'll, we'll, we'll listen to you more on this one.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, by the time we get to the end of the book and he's, you know, um, there's, there's this Bajoran woman that I mentioned that, you know, is distrustful of, of non Bajorans and stuff. And her daughter is horribly ill Um, with this disease that's common to Bajorans who lived through the occupation and stuff and Kirk's figured this whole thing out with the sea creature and picks the daughter up and walks into the water and gives him gives her to the sea creature and the you know says something that convinces the woman like oh he knows what he's doing and I'll just let him do his thing and it's, it's just there's so much almost like religious imagery there that it's just it's too much it's too much i'm sorry like i'm not i'm cringing through that whole part like i i feel it, it, like it's supposed to be beautiful and amazing and i'm supposed to be falling on my knees in awe and i'm just rolling my eyes
0: <laughs> no it was more
1: like this is kind of weird it feels yeah, and it's yeah it's awkward it's really weird like it's <laughs> really weird <laughs>
0: <laughs> it sounds like something I would have read in one of those early phantom books of Star Trek or something I don't know mm-hmm. or the earlier nineteen eighties pocket Because there were some of them out there that were just a little weird um and then the was it you know when the Bajorans take your ear and they feel your was it your
1: your was it your paw <laughs> right your your paw, yeah, yeah,
0: like you know they were like, oh you really are a good person that, Oh, you really do know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. That's what it was. Right. She, she checks his paw and, uh, she's of course overcome with, you know, amazingness. Like, Oh, he really does get it. He's, he's amazing. Oh my God. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: there were I mean, there were some good points, I mean, I'm thinking about when they were uh in the water into this cavern, this ancient city or temple or whatever, and they find the orb. I thought it was a little cool. It felt like you know the archaeolog archaeologist venture of like an Indiana Jones in a sense, you know it was mm-hmm. kind of fun,
1: yeah, um, but then Kirk and Picard decide. They're like, well, we can't be the ones to find this orb, you know, the Bajorans and, and, and the believers in this religion, they have to be the ones to find it. So let's give it to this sea creature. (laughs) Just like, like if I was a Bajoran and found out that they had discovered an orb in these caverns and then, you know, let it go into the water for the sea creature to take. I'd be pretty ticked. Like, I'd be like, you did What? Uh, yes, anyway, because and I mean, you know, the sea you know, in, is, and, and well, no, maybe the I'm totally is, missing the point of of all of that. But it's just ah, uh, anyway, sorry.
0: <laughs> well, because the sea creature is the you know Bath Patel from you know one of the five moons or something over her Bejor. I don't anyway. You know, yeah, he's
1: he's the reincarnation of one of the brothers from ancient Bajoran myth who is atoning for something by um <laughs> by being reincarnated into each member of this species but the species is going extinct so his atonement is almost done so when this final creature dies it's not something to be sad that this species is extinct it's happy because now he's free and he's atoned for no i'm not buying it sorry guys <laughs> maybe I'm an insensitive jerk who doesn't get the Bajoran religion, but nope. (laughs) Well, when Picard earlier in the book, uh,
0: is in the water, falls into the water and this creature, which we find out later takes hold of Picard, uh, and takes him to this temple or whatever it is. (laughs) That's when we find out that Picard wasn't murdered. He was, down there but i i never i don't really recall who's uh, maybe it wasn't addressed real well but why did the creature do that to picard i for plot purposes i don't know yeah <laughs> I, I don't remember i remember it was even asked by kirk later he's like but why did he keep you alive why did he bring you to you know I don't really feel like we even got the answer to that
1: later. Well, because book. he's the he's the reincarnated guy, and he knows that they're good, and the Cardassian guy's bad. I guess. Yeah, because it killed the Cardassian.
0: Yeah, and I did get a sense that maybe that was it that he sensed that the Cardassian. Well, because it was a Bajoran that mm-hmm. was altered. It was I'm sorry. It was a Cardassian altered to be Bajoran. Yeah. Uh, just like you know, Ash Tyler's folk but uh <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that he sensed that he was bad and he killed him but then I, then he didn't kill picard because i guess he's good but why did he even take picard to this location unless he was trying to get him to find the orb for him i don't know
1: yeah or to or to save his life i yeah yeah i don't or, know I, I, yeah that's <laughs> strange.
0: anyway Whew. yeah okay i'm sorry Oh, indeed. Okay. This book isn't that bad, but yes, it's, (laughs) (laughs) there's some parts in here that are just a little odd, odd. That's the best way to say it. I think Mm. this captain's odd peril is what it is.
1: Definitely. Well, like I said, like more fascinating to me, I really enjoyed the flashback part of the story better with Kirk's early days on the enterprise And I like that we don't get a perfect resolution to that story. So, you know, Kirk, well, sorry, Kirk's crew and this Klingon crew are competing to take possession of this highly advanced ship. And they say that, you know, you have to play a game in order to prove who's more worthy of of looking after us. And if you win, you get this ship with its amazing technology that, you know, is really awesome. And so there's you know, a competition, a mountain climbing competition between the Klingon captain and Kirk wants to go on the mission, but they, you know, Spock and, and Dr. Piper convince him to send a more experienced mountain climbing crew member instead. And because he can do it better in a suit than Kirk can. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, that officer dies and that becomes Kirk's first loss of a crew member on his ship. And the story isn't really wrapped up because we find out that neither the Klingons nor the Federation won and some unknown third party has apparently won the ship and the right to protect these people, which I think, and again, I haven't read any of the books after this, but I'm thinking it's going to link into what's going on in books two and three and this whole thing with the totality because we get this epilogue that seems very disconnected from everything else in this book. And I have to say, I was m- way more interested in what was going on in the epilogue than anything else in the book, because this is a really, basically the USS Monitor, which was from the uh, the book, The Return, the Defiant-class ship that was renamed Enterprise briefly to fight the Borg, has become a test bed for different technologies. And it was testing Borg transwarp technology and ended up stranded in between uh, the Milky Way galaxy and the Andromeda galaxy with basically no hope of getting home. But they encounter this force that turns them all into this weird matter. And, and you know, that this is the totality that, you know, we've heard so much about. I don't know, like... What's going on? What's going to happen next? This is like, I'm really interested in this. This is cool. Even though it's, it's seems wholly disconnected from what we've gotten before with the possible exception of the flashback stuff uh, aboard the year journal enterprise.
0: Again, it's like this book to me for some reason feels like maybe William Shatner wrote most of it. And then at the very (laughs) end, Judith and Garfield, Reeves Stevens came in and said, okay, we're going to write the epilogue to set up what the next book's going to be. And it's going to be really cool. Um, yeah, actually, this part—the last, that very last, whatever pages, five or ten pages or whatever it was—I think really was the best part of the book. Um, I'm really interested to see how this plays out. I, I know I, like I said, I've the second book in this trilogy. I did listen to years ago, but I, I don't remember it in detail. So I'm very anxious to get to that. This epilogue had nothing to do with the rest of the story it was it was almost like a preview of chapter one of the next book Mm -hmm. there was really no connection and maybe when we get to the next book or and the one after that maybe we'll start to see that there's a connection with the story but i remember when we're going into this trilogy mentioning uh on a previous episode or maybe it was even when we weren't even on the show i just remember saying I remember the last trilogy not feeling like a trilogy. And Mm. I think it was because of this book. Yeah.
1: Because this feels like a standalone story until the epilogue. I do have to say I was worried, like halfway through the book, I was worried that this murder mystery was going to last three books. (laughs) And I was ready to scream. (laughs) And I'm really, really glad that that's not the case. Oh, man. Oh.
0: Well, I think this is a great opportunity to ask you, Dan, what are your final thoughts about the book?
1: Oh boy. I now, you know, long time listeners of the podcast will know since I've been on the show, I'm generally very positive about the books and comics. I always try and find, you know, the good things in everything. And even if there's a few things that, you know, rub me the wrong way or that I don't like, I tend not to focus on that and I tend to uh, mostly enjoy things And I mean, there were things that I enjoyed in this. Like I said, I really liked the flashback chapters that talked about Kirk's early days aboard the Enterprise and that whole mission I found interesting. I liked his philosophical talks with Picard, even though I didn't really quite get what they were trying to get at in some points. But the actual plot, the main plot of what's going on in the 24th century, it just... It really lost me. I couldn't get into it. I found it meandering and plodding, and I just didn't care about a lot of what was going on. And maybe that's a failing on my part, but this book just didn't grab me there. So, you know, for the two things about it that I liked, I'll bump my score. I'll figure that into my score and give it two out of five, Um, whatever those creatures are called, with little teeth instead of tentacle suckers. I don't know (laughs) the best I can muster. (laughs) (laughs) And it it pains me to say that because I hate giving, you know, anything less than, than, you know, a good review, but, Oh, I just, I, I I had a really hard time getting into this one.
0: Um, I gave this on Goodreads four out of five stars, but if I had to do it now, I'd give it three out of five stars on there. Um just because there it's like you said, there's just a lot of odd things. I think if I were to if somebody wanted to read this book, I think it's very safe to go to the audiobook. It's three hours long. It's read by William Shatner. And I don't think you're gonna miss anything. Uh there weren't any scenes that I recall that were in the book that were taken out to make the audiobook. It's like we said earlier it was just taking some of the scenes and just cutting down some of the dialogue or some of the, the skydiving elements and making it a bit <laughs> shorter. Um, so I would say if anybody were wanting to read this, I'd say, you know what? I, I would say with this book, maybe go with the audiobook. It's more fun to listen to when you're hearing William Shatner, read a Kirk story to you and in three hours in the car, or whatever you're doing, it's fairly enjoyable. I, I kind of liked it. But when I sat down and read the book, it was really kind of like, gosh, this is really weird. And it seemed to drag in some places. And, and yeah, the backstory of their first mission on the enterprise of Kirk and Spock was, yeah, I agree. That was more enjoyable. Just seeing that dynamic. And I said earlier about Kirk and Picard's relationship. I, I, I like seeing that. It was kind of like, you know, two buddies going on a trip together and, one thought the other was murdered, but you know they all were back together again, or whatever. so <laughs> I would say, as I said, you know, three stars out of five, but for our fun purposes on how we rate books, I would say I would give this
1: three moons out of five moons. ooh, very nice. I do have to say one quick thing that that i did I forgot to mention. The very last bit of the 24th century has Kirk, Spock and Bones kind of palling around and and kidding with each other the way they did back in the original series. And I think for me, that crystallizes a lot of what I feel about this book is I like Kirk back in his own time with his crew. And I feel like he doesn't fit very well in the 24th century and it feels kind of forced in there. So I, I don't know if that I I might apply to the entire Shatner verse for me, but very, especially in this book. I don't know.
0: I don't feel like he really fits that well in the 24th century because he doesn't really have anything he's doing. Meaning Mm. he's not a captain of a ship. He's not an admiral. He's not, you know, he's just, he's retired for the most part and he's just falling into different adventures. Um, I think it would have been interesting to see Kirk return in the 24th century and he's given his own starship or star base or, or something to that effect. Or even if he was an ambassador or or even just running Starfleet Academy, I think Mm -hmm. if he was giving a purpose, a job to do um, and then some characters, some old and some new characters around him on a consistent basis, It'd be very interesting. But the fact that he's just kind of floating out there and just happens to run into Picard again and just happens to show up on Deep Space Nine or whatever, it just seems to run into twenty fourth century characters here and there and then, oh, there's old Spock and there oh yeah, you know, Spock and McCoy seem to just show up out of nowhere all the time. You yeah. know, just because we want to get him in there.
1: Yeah, I mean, Spock's frequent flyer miles between, you know, Romulus and back into Federation space, uh, he must be really racking those up because yeah, he's just back and forth all the time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see how the next book goes. Well, it's really interesting that uh, the two of us had very... Uh, Maybe not so much differing opinions on that book, but that our ratings were a little further apart than they tend to be for the most part. So I found that really interesting. I really liked talking about this book, even though I didn't come away with it feeling any better about it than when I came to it. It still was a fun discussion to kind of hash that out with you. I really enjoyed that discussion.
0: Yeah, it was fun. I think the discussion was more fun than reading the book. (laughs) <laughs> I will I will definitely agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not weird creatures under the sea. That's not the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM today. So uh, here's other things on the network that hopefully are a little better than this book that people are discussing. Uh, so here's a quick look at those things that you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM.
1: Previously on Trek.FM, Warp 5. Like, Mario is not a good person and I don't like him but when he openly mistreats Luigi is when I hate him is when I make the decision I don't want him to make it through this I don't want him to make it to the end at all the orb that blanket really helped the show because it didn't end up turning into what Voyager did which is we got to launch a network. This has to be this. It has to be put in a box that we can't get out of, you know. Like, Deep Space Nine takes the box, crumples it up, and throws it in the corner.
0: The 602 Club.
1: I love it. Um, Have I said that enough? I I think I said earlier that I was waiting to get to Timothy Dalton. Um, Not to knock on Roger Moore, but I I didn't like Roger Moore as much as I liked um, Dalton and then Connery and then Craig.
0: The Ready Room
1: since 90 early 92 i had been i was lucky enough to get the contract to do the companion for next generation went out for a week to la when ds9 was still very very secret and i just my first glimpse of ds9 was knowing that they were working on it and you know like the script was being passed around in unmarked envelopes between the
0: offices <laughs> And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and
1: beyond. And you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And hey, if you have the time and are so inclined, please leave us a star rating and written review. If you are not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps. You can even find us on YouTube, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link there as well. And you can help
0: us keep all these shows coming to you each week here on Trek FM by becoming a patron of the network. On Patreon, so please visit patreon.com/trekfm. That's p a t r e o dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. And perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce these shows and host and distribute every month. So we really appreciate all the support that you can give us. And again, you can find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And as promised earlier in the show, we did get an iTunes review, and so we want to read that for you. And this comes from Barry FS. And Barry says, if you enjoy Star Trek books or comics, this show is a must listen. Always positive, always insightful, great guests, and insight information. And uh, the title of this review is Trek FM is at
1: it's best with five stars. That's awesome. Great. Uh, thank you very much for that review. I, I love that it's always positive. <laughs> I don't know if maybe you didn't, you had definitely hadn't listened to this episode yet, but uh, yeah, um, we try to be, <laughs> but yeah, no, thank you very much. I
0: think we are positive, even if we don't like something and mean we, we give it a fair shake and you know, it's, we didn't hate this book, and we didn't very like rip true, it yeah. off and like you know this is stupid. You know we're we're not trashing it. You know there's just some things you know we're
1: just pointing out things that didn't
0: sit right with us.
1: That's <laughs> yeah no that's definitely true for sure. There were a few things that I liked, so yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you, Barry, for sharing your thoughts. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, everyone else out there. And there are many ways for you to do that. The pl- The best place to join in the larger conversation is, of course, the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. Ask to join the group, and someone will let you write in. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks, and that'll come right to Bruce and I. You can also find the network on Twitter at Trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash, you guessed it, Trek.fm.
0: Yeah, we'd like to thank our associate producers. We have Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Shane Matala, Justin Ozer, and Jeffrey Harlan for their support of the Trek FM network. And of course, being these associate producers of literary Treks as well. And so, Dan, when you're not trying to save all Bajorans because you know about the Bajoran
1: religion better than they do, where can people find you? It's true. I watched every episode of Deep Space Nine. I'm pretty much an expert on the prophets. But uh, when I'm not dealing with those rural Bajorans who don't really know what they're talking about, you can find me on Facebook. I'm at facebook.com slash Productions. And I'm also on Twitter at Kertrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And you can also find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Productions. And you can also find me in the Babel Conference occasionally talking about Star Trek. Now, Bruce, when you're not renting some dodgy looking orbital skydiving suits from that Ferengi swindler on Deep Space Nine, where can we find you? Hey, those suits were a really good deal. So I'm I sure trust they' were.
0: Cork. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And uh, you can find me here on the network doing live from the edge with Brandy Jackala. And we recently had Dan on as a guest. Uh, That was a lot of fun (laughs) uh, when it was episode 10 of discovery. But every time an episode of discovery premieres on Sunday, we talk about it Monday night live on YouTube. And, uh, that's 9 PM Eastern 6 PM Pacific. So check that out. And then if you missed the live show, it, it becomes a, uh, It's released as a podcast of The Edge feed. So if you listen to The Edge, you'll hear this sub-show live from The Edge. In addition to that, if you like Star Wars, I'm on the Star Wars Report. And you can find that at StarWarsReport.com or any podcast app on iTunes and all that stuff, too. And I think that's just about it. And so I'm in the Babel Conference also. Until next time, live long and read on.
1: You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.